Welcome to episode 35 of the Fasting Well podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about various ways that you can prevent emergency room visits. So different complications and things that you might be able to prevent through a combination of fasting or nutrition. So I work in the emergency room. I've been doing that for several years. Uh, I work as a PA, which is, for those who don't know, that's similar to a doctor. So I do all the same stuff. I see the patient, kind of try to figure out what's going on, order tests, make a diagnosis, you know, figure out if they can go home or if they need to be admitted to the hospital, prescribe medications, et cetera. Uh, so I've been doing that since 2014. And so I'm going to talk about stuff that we see a lot in the emergency room. And the things that I'm going to list, I'll kind of work my way down from the head down in the body. And the things I'm going to list are things that at least a fairly high percentage of the time could probably be prevented with some combination of fasting or maybe nutritional changes. So obviously it's not 100%, but but that probably a very significant percentage could be prevented in these cases. All right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. And And of course the goal is to, you know, this is kind of an interesting angle, I think, but also to help you be able to prevent going to the ER and wasting the time and the money and having medical complications and future problems and so forth. All right. So starting with the head. So what kind of problems in your head <laughs> or your brain could be potentially prevented through like fasting or nutrition? Well, I guess the first thing I'll mention is migraines. Migraines. So, uh, uh, you know, it's one of the most common causes of headaches, if not the most common cause. And uh, migraines, if you read Dr. Ben Bickman's book about uh, insulin resistance called Why We Get Sick, he points out that migraines um, can be caused or at least very much contributed to by insulin resistance, which is kind of another way of saying if you have too much insulin because it's not working as well in your body anymore. So that insulin resistance is going to come up several times during this conversation. So it's not really a conversation, but during this uh, episode. So the insulin resistance seems to be a major cause of migraines. And and so therefore, you can probably get rid of the migraines if you get rid of the insulin resistance, not in every case, but in many cases. And both fasting and low-carb nutrition, like a ketogenic diet, are effective ways to treat insulin resistance for the very simple reason that they help you lower your insulin. And most of the time, insulin resistance is because you have too much insulin. So migraines. Um, so another cause of headaches is something called that used to be called pseudotumor cerebri, also known as idiopathic intracranial hypertension. So that's a mouthful of jargon for you. But this is a case where it just means that there's too much pressure in the brain and because there's too much fluid building up and that sort of thing. So I've previously heard this described as another thing that probably results from insulin resistance or too much insulin. And I don't know how carefully that's been researched or anything, but it does make sense because the people that get this are usually significantly overweight. And being significantly overweight is usually associated with too much insulin and insulin resistance. So it fits from that perspective. So that's another thing that very likely and in quite a few cases could be successfully treated through um, something like a low-carb diet and or fasting. And of course, when I say fasting for all these different things, I'm talking about various different schedules. There's not one magic schedule that's the one that everyone needs to do, but you know, different things like time-restricted eating, which is a daily thing, or sometimes extended fasting, maybe alternate day fasting, maybe longer, stuff like that. But it just depends on the situation and the individual and so forth. But let's move on to other 
emergency room problems, you could very likely prevent, or at least (laughs) there's a fair chance you could prevent through fasting and nutrition. So we talked about headaches. Now let's move on to vision problems. So this varies a lot. People come to the ER for lots of eye problems or vision problems. And obviously you can't prevent all of those through fasting, but many of the vision problems that people get that take them to the ER are related to diabetes and high blood pressure and, you know, either one. So uh, diabetes is basically reversible through fasting and or carbohydrate restriction, which is another way of saying low carb or keto. Um, So many, many people have reversed all the signs and symptoms of diabetes through fasting and nutrition changes. So if you're, if diabetes is going to increase your risk of having, you know, sudden vision loss in one of your eyes, for example, or other, you know, vision complications, and that is a well-known complication of diabetes is having vision problems, right? Then, then if you are able to control diabetes, you're going to be a lot less likely to get these complications. So with the vision, I'll pretty much leave it at that. Um, and, and, and like I said, hyperten- or high blood pressure, also known as hypertension, is another cause. Another risk factor is a better way to say it. It increases your risk a lot of these kinds of problems. So if you can get your blood pressure under control, you're also less likely to have certain types of vision problems and many other things that I'm going to mention in a few minutes. And episode 31 of this podcast was about how to fix high blood pressure through fasting and lifestyle changes and things like that. Okay, so one thing I've uh, one other thing I was going to throw in that I, I it's not on my list here, but let's go ahead and mention it real quick. Dementia, Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia, memory loss, that sort of thing. So I did an episode. I can't remember the number right now because I didn't write it down, but about five or ten episodes ago, which is about. Uh, fasting and other lifestyle changes that can, in many cases, prevent Alzheimer's disease. So if you're interested in that topic, go back and listen to that episode. You can just scroll down and and find it on the podcast feed. But anyway, there is some strong evidence. Um, A lot of individuals who have significantly improved or even practically reversed Alzheimer's symptoms in some cases. Now, it's not 100%. Certainly not everyone can cure Alzheimer's. That would be, you know, overselling big time. But it's often preventable, and if it's in the mild early stages, it can often be reversed uh, through the stuff that I explained in that episode. Um, And why do I bring up Alzheimer's? Well, people do come to the ER because of memory problems, and then a lot of people show up at the ER with Alzheimer's and other problems, and then it's harder for them to explain what's going on, (laughs) of course, because, you know, then you just have to ask the caregiver or the family or something, and, and you can ask them, does your chest hurt right now? Because they probably don't remember if it hurt an hour ago. Anyway, moving on. So still in the brain or the head, strokes. So suffice it to say that you're at a much higher risk of stroke if you have something like diabetes or high blood pressure. So I already talked about how those can be controlled through fasting and nutrition. Um, So if you do that, you're going to lower your risk of stroke big time. Also, this exact same thing goes for heart attacks. So we're moving down into the chest area now. Heart attacks, um, you can definitely lower your risk of heart attacks a lot if you're able to control diabetes and blood pressure. Um, Another thing related to heart attacks is cholesterol. But cholesterol is so misunderstood. It's kind of silly, actually, because people usually like to focus on that LDL cholesterol, the one that's the so-called bad cholesterol. But a uh, a better marker of your risk for heart attacks is actually 
your triglyceride to HDL ratio. So there's some pretty good research to back this up that your triglyceride to HDL ratio, and those are both on your lipid panel. If you go get like a cholesterol panel or lipid panel from your doctor, that is a pretty good marker of your cardiovascular risk. In other words, your risk of heart attacks and other heart problems. And guess what's really good at lowering your triglycerides and therefore lowering your triglyceride to HDL ratio and your heart risk? Fasting or carb restriction. Both are pretty good at that. They'll lower your triglycerides, which means they'll lower your triglyceride to HDL ratio. And you want to have a ratio under about two to have a pretty low risk of various heart issues. And two is kind of a ballpark figure. There's different people that say different things, but that's uh, strongly related to heart attacks. And obviously we see a lot of people with chest pain in the ER and some of them are having a heart attack. Most of them are not, but you know, that's a strong consideration is what are all these risk factors? Do you have diabetes? Do you have high blood pressure? Do you have high cholesterol and, and all that stuff? So some other things in the chest area that are also um, could be prevented in some cases or treated effectively include breathing problems. So asthma, um, asthma is kind of an autoimmune condition. There's a lot of inflammation in the lungs. So there's a couple different ways that fasting can help with that. One is that it, fasting is pretty good at lowering inflammation in general. And then there's some specific research that shows that uh, fasting can help reduce all, um, asthma symptoms. I was going to say Alzheimer's just because they both start with A, but anyway, fasting and keto have both been researched as it relates to asthma and both have seen improvements. Uh, so I don't remember the exact details of, of those papers and things, but it makes sense and there is some research to back it up. So asthma can likely be improved with fasting and or low carb. COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease is that you know breathing problems that it's mostly smokers who get it but uh, occasionally other people get it from like, you know, job-related exposures to stuff they breathe and, and genetic conditions and stuff like that. So smoking is the main issue. But let's say you already have COPD and, and you've quit smoking now. Well, uh, COPD also, also has a very strong inflammatory component, inflammation component, like asthma. And so the same kind of mechanism could probably help with that. In other words, if you're able to reduce inflammation in your body by changing what you're eating and doing some fasting, then that's pro probably going to improve. Your breathing's probably going to improve and you'll have fewer complications like the other infections that come along with it. People get pneumonia a lot and stuff when they already have COPD. Okay, so let's move along a little bit to a different region of the body. So we've talked about the head and the chest area. There's also... Um, some stuff in the stomach or the abdomen that is relevant here. So for example, diabetes has a lot of complications, and I'll list some of those off later, but one of them is something called gastroparesis. Now, you probably don't know what that means unless, <laughs> unless you've taken a medical terminology class or, or something, or if you have it yourself, obviously. Uh, but it just means that the stomach is kind of sl slow or sort of paralyzed. So the stomach isn't able to pump as well as it used to because of the nerve damage from diabetes. So diabetes damages nerves all over your body, most famously peripheral neuropathy, which is where you get the uh, kind of the pain and the tingling and the numbness in the feet and the legs and sometimes the hands and things like that. But um, it also can do that internally with the stomach and other organs and things. So people with this gastroparesis 
tend to come to the ER a lot. So on a regular basis and say, I have a lot of stomach pain and vomiting and stuff like that. So that's something you know, we, we see this a lot. It's kind of ugly. Um, it's, it's miserable, right? Cause they just end up getting stuck going to the ER on the regular. So if you can prevent that, then that's great. So this is more about prevention. You're probably not going to fix it completely through fasting, but if you have diabetes and you don't have gastroparesis yet, you can probably prevent gastroparesis with the right fasting regimen, nutrition changes, et cetera. So further into the bowels, <laughs> um, there's also inflammatory bowel disease, right? And the two most common versions of that are Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. These are autoimmune conditions where people get inflammation in their intestines. And sometimes they have other signs and symptoms, other things that happen with them, like joint problems or whatever, but uh, from the same autoimmunity, but it's mostly in the intestines. So uh, Crohn's disease has actually been studied as one of those autoimmune conditions that can improve through extended fasting. I think multiple sclerosis is the one that's been studied the most. And I perhaps I should have put that on this list. But, um, but, but I believe Crohn's disease as well has specifically been looked at with people that do prolonged fasting and reduce their autoimmunity. So that's one of the benefits of extended fasting is kind of reducing autoimmune symptoms. And I believe that was episode 12, where I talked about several benefits of extended fasting, and that was one of them. So people with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis often show up at the ER. Well, when I say often, I see them often. I don't know how often any individual <laughs> with that shows up, but they'll come in and they'll, they'll have stomach pain, maybe some vomiting, often diarrhea, sometimes bloody diarrhea, and sometimes they get various um, you know, fluid collections and things in their abdomen, like an abscess stuff like that, sometimes other complications. So that's what the ER visit looks like. Um, it's pretty, pretty common. But if you have one of those conditions, there's a pretty good chance you can drastically reduce how many complications you get through some kind of fasting regimen or changing nutrition, nutrition or both. And that's a case where the extended fasting in particular may be extra beneficial. Okay, so let's move on to a couple other things. Uh, so one more thing in the abdomen would be your kidneys. So people come into the ER sometimes because their kidneys aren't working as well. They could literally show up just because their kidneys aren't working as well. And an example of that is if they get a blood test from their primary care doctor, and then it shows that the kidney function is not as good. And then they get a phone call and say, go to the ER because your kidneys aren't working. And so things like that happen kind of regularly. Um, and then, you know, they get admitted and see the kidney specialist and, you know, figure out if there's anything that we can do about it. But what are the most common causes of kidney failure? Well, guess what? It's the same ones I've been mentioning <laughs> previously, diabetes and high blood pressure. I'm pretty sure those are the top two most common causes of kidney failure. So, uh, in fact, when I see like dial dialysis patients in the ER, and if I ever ask them like what what caused your um, kidney failure? It's almost always one of those two things. Now, not 100%, but like a very high percentage, just one or the other. So if you can control the diabetes, the high blood pressure, you can probably prevent the chronic kidney disease or the kidney failure. And the resultant dialysis and 
if you don't know, dialysis is when people get this treatment to kind of filter their blood since their kidneys can't do it. And it takes about four hours, usually about three times per week, not counting driving and stuff like that. So it's a huge commitment for a lot of people who have kidney failure, often because of diabetes or high blood pressure, diseases which are usually preventable through diet lifestyle, including fasting. And um, just in case it wasn't clear, whenever I say diabetes, I'm almost always talking about type 2 diabetes because that's by far the most common. And that's true for most other people too, that if they just say diabetes, it usually means type 2 diabetes. So because some of what I've said about diabetes here is, is not true for type 1 diabetes since it's not as treatable as type 2. Okay, so so we talked about the kidneys, and there's a lot of complications for people that have kidney failure and you know other issues. the The first hospital I worked at, there were a lot of these. Um, there were a lot of immigrants from Mexico who didn't have health insurance, and and they were kind of undocumented in most cases, I think. And so they would end up having to show up at the ER just to get their dialysis. And so that we developed a system there. I didn't develop it, but we used a system there where we were able to expedite their dialysis because they came in for it so often. So we didn't always draw blood and we didn't always do some of the things that would happen if they go to just any old ER. Um, but, uh, but they showed up there and the, sometimes they had to wait like 10 hours because <laughs> there was just delays because there were so many people coming in just to get dialysis at the ER. So that's just an example of one miserable um, thing that you just want to prevent, like, you know, all the inconvenience plus all the, you know, you're much more likely to die once your kidneys aren't working anymore, just because there's all these different things that kind of go wrong in your body as well. All right. So we've talked about the head, the chest, the abdomen, and there's a bunch of other things related to those areas, but these are just several examples. What about your arms and legs? Are there stuff that you might go into the ER for related to your arms and legs that could be pre prevented? Well, yeah, there's a bunch. And let's just focus on the ones that are related to diabetes because, it, you know, everybody and their dog has diabetes these days. <laughs> so, of course, I'm half kidding, but it's also true, um, even some pets. But uh, it's so common, high blood sugar, high insulin, which go together, um, and type 2 diabetes and prediabetes, which is just kind of on your way to having type 2 diabetes, are so insanely common now that they're worth really focusing on. And so as it relates to the arms and legs, what kind of complications do people with diabetes get? Well, that often they have poor blood flow in their arms and legs. So they might show up with one of their feet is turning pale or something because it's not getting enough blood flow or they're having a lot of pain in their leg or something like that. And they also get a lot of infections because their immune system doesn't work very well anymore. Um, so, and that those two reasons are the reasons why they end up getting amputations. So it might get their toe cut off or they might get their whole foot cut off or they might get half their leg cut off. And those are the amputations, which are obviously a miserable complication uh, because it affects your quality of life so much and can lead to other complications like more infections and this and that. High blood pressure also contributes to some of those same problems like the poor blood flow in the legs, for example. So that's relevant again and again and again and again. So uh, I mentioned diabetes many, many times. And, and what's something that doesn't affect just one body area, but is also a reason people show up at the ER for diabetes? Well, that would be high blood sugar. So sometimes people come in just because their blood sugar is high, right? Either because they noticed it when they tested it at home, or perhaps because somebody else checked it at a clinic or whatever, 
or now it's so high that they're having other complications like the so-called diabetic ketoacidosis, for example, or other things that are kind of similar to that, which cause a lot of dehydration and can cause death for sure. So people often show up with high blood sugar. This is like almost an everyday occurrence. Um, So that usually means they have diabetes or otherwise they wouldn't be in the hospital because of high blood sugar. And so if they can prevent or reverse the diabetes, they're probably not going to have to go to the hospital with high blood sugar. Okay, so that was a pretty good list. And as you can see, there are a bunch of things that people come into the emergency room for that could potentially be prevented through fasting or other lifestyle changes, including nutrition, including low-carb nutrition, which is a very effective treatment for high blood sugar, for high insulin, and for type 2 diabetes. And so that's the main reason I brought that up as well. And if you want to know how to get started with fasting, if you're still kind of in a beginner stage, then I'd highly recommend you go listen to episode four and or episode 30 of my podcast, because those talk about those talk about how to get started from the very, very beginning and even how to make it easy at the beginning. And then, of course, you can build on that gradually. And I've got a bunch of other podcast episodes that kind of explain how to do that, Um, you know, how to take further steps and other, you know, tips for success and, and so forth. Okay. So I guess we'll leave it at that, but thanks for listening and I'll see you next time on the Fasting Well podcast. The Fasting Well podcast is not medical advice and does not replace the need to consult with your own medical providers.